Welcome to Rediscovering Earth's Lost Topography. Today, we're doing our podcast out of Wentzville, Missouri, where I am here with Tony Aguilera. Tony is an entrepreneur who owns a local locksmith business. Tony is a veteran who has served seven years in the Navy, and I want to welcome Tony to our show. Tony, welcome. Thank you, Ron. It's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. So, Tony, you, you do quite a bit of stuff outdoors, correct? Yes. Can you name some of the stuff that you really enjoy? Well, uh, the main thing I like to do is uh, fishing. That's my favorite uh, outdoor activity. Um, I'll do salt water, fresh water, doesn't matter. Uh, I also like camping and uh, hiking and just being outdoors. I think it's good, uh, good for the soul, if you will. Yes, it is. And I think we were talking earlier before the podcast about electronics and stuff like that that kids are doing nowadays without all these electronic devices. Um, well, obviously not all the electronic devices being canceled out because nobody would be hearing us today. But as far as some of these gaming systems and stuff like that that kids are doing, it'd be way better for them to be outdoors, fishing, hiking, camping, float trips. Do you have any thoughts on that? I agree 100% that uh, when we were kids, uh, we were just we were outdoors all the time. And um, I was in uh, Boy Scouts and all that stuff when I was a kid, and I loved it. Uh, we would go camping for weeks at a time and doing floats and uh, float trips and uh, just being out there, uh, campfires and staying the night, roughing it, if you will. And it made us better people for it. I mean, it just we learned about nature and, you know, making knots and archery and all that. I mean, all the things that that stuff in, uh, entails. And it was a good time in my life. I, I, you know, made me want to spend, as an adult, we were outdoors all the time. Yep. I mean, I know it's, I've been around for a long time. And back when I wanted to do something entertaining, I'd go out and sit on a log out in the woods and listen to the wildlife, sit on the side of a river, watch beavers, and pretty much all kinds of critters out there. And if you sat out there quietly, I mean... It was a perfect meditation. Um, I really enjoyed that. I mean, it was the best way to relax, basically. Nowadays, I still do meditation. I do meditation through some podcasts that I listen to. You ever do any of that kind of stuff? Or Yeah, over the years, I've uh, done some meditating. Uh, I think it's a... Um a great way to find the answer to your own problems and a good place to do that at is is in nature and outdoors um it's getting harder and harder to find places unless you go really far out there i mean i've noticed i remember when as a kid we would see all kinds of different birds and things like that when i was a kid that in the same area now you don't see any of that stuff anymore you have to go further and further out just to catch it you know it's been a while but i would say uh, i'd recommend anybody to go out there because it is uh there's studies out there to show that uh uh, being out there really kind of allows you to decompress, and I, I really believe that. And um, that's, you know, that's what I like about fishing in the morning. You know, getting up at four thirty-five in the morning before the world wakes up, go out there and uh, find the lake or wherever I'm going, and just watch the world wake up. I, I feel better all in all throughout the day when I get get to do those kind of things. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and what you just mentioned, I actually talked about on a previous podcast. Because you are correct. We're pushing wildlife further and further and further out. And then some of the wildlife is actually coming into some of the neighborhoods and subdivisions because basically we're building 
in their territories. Not something that needs to be talked about, but I did bring up in a previous podcast, the Have You Ever Wondered podcast, like, have you ever wondered what's underneath this subdivision, what's underneath this neighborhood, what was here before all these homes were built? We're right now in Wentzville, Missouri, and this used to be all farmland. Now it's all built up. So yes, not only wildlife has to be seen further and further out, but we also have to travel further and further out to be able to find some wild areas where there is basically places that you can see the stars at night without the city lights. And that's one thing I like. That's one thing that I've, I've talked to several people about is seeing the city lights is not noticeable to most of the teens when they're out because they don't know what total no light means when you're out in the woods. I think they call that light pollution, don't they? I think so. That's one of my favorite things to do as well, and I'm glad you brought that up. And Sometimes I forget that. But uh, when going out there in, in complete darkness and a clear night and seeing the stars and uh, all that, and when I was in the Navy, we would go float around, and I would lay on the flight deck, rocking back and forth. And it was so clear sometimes. I mean, you could just see so many stars out there, more than you ever possibly could imagine you'd ever see in a city. And uh, it is fascinating because it really kind of gets you to wonder about all the things that are out there. And I mean, it was so clear we could see satellites, you know. <laughs> That's how clear. I mean, you see going across the sky. And, uh, of course, then I was like, oh, my God, you know, what is that? And, of course, you know, it turned out to be satellites. But I'd never seen that. You will never see that in a city. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when you take those things away, it, it you know, from people and kids and everything else, it, it takes away the wonder. Like if, you know, back in the day when they were kids, that's all you had to do. All you could do is go you know, look at the stars or whatever, and it made them curious and, and created, you know, the desire to learn more about uh, uh, nature and everything else. And you know, with the way things are now, it's just being taken away um, little by little. Yeah, I, I like to do that a lot, actually. It's relaxing to me. Just go out there. There is a lot of places out there, and I, I think that's cool that you actually laid on the deck. Flight deck, yeah. Yep. And that kind of reminds me back when I was younger, and I would actually go out in the woods with some of the grottos that I was part of. And we would go so far back out into the woods. And when you lay on the ground and look up and you can see straight sky in the total darkness down there with no city lights around you or anything, you're 100% correct. You can see what you would think is shooting stars. But one of my buddies, he was watching through the telescope and he's like, no, that's a satellite, an area that's completely just black outside. And all you can see is the sky, stars, and the moon, and all that kind of stuff. You'll be able to see so far out into space that it's, it's gorgeous. I mean, it's a totally different atmosphere, the twinkling of the stars and the twinkling of everything up there. But some of those things that we thought was shooting stars were like they had a red tint to them or something like that. Those are actually satellites flying by. So the, the space station, you can see that from time to time, and that's grown over the years, so it's getting brighter brighter and brighter. Uh, but, yeah, you can see all that stuff out there. You know, I heard there's a place in Missouri uh, that you can see the Milky Way certain times of the year very well. All the years I spent out at sea, I never saw the Milky Way. And I don't know why you asked me earlier, well, what have I wondered about? That's one of the things. It's like, why well, did I see the Milky Way? Out of the middle of the ocean, there's nothing. It's pitch black. You can't see the hand, you know, your hand in front of your face sometimes. But you can see the sky. 
but I never saw that. But there is a place in Missouri, apparently, and I forget the name of it, and I wish I, I, I could pull it out, but uh, it's in Missouri, it's in southern Missouri, that you can see the Milky Way clear as day in certain certain times of the year. Now, it has to obviously be a clear night, but I, I think it's interesting, and I would like to check that out. I'm going to follow up with that. Would that be near Eminence, somewhere in that area? It could be. I, I forget who, who told me about that. Either Eminence or Joplin. No, I think it was further south. Joplin's out west, I think, a little bit, but I thought it was further south, and... Um, you know, I heard. I remember who told me about it. I'm going to find out and let you know as soon as I let you know. Uh, as soon as I find out, okay. I just remembered who it was. Yep, that sounds good. So, some of the travels that you've done, can you tell us a little bit about that? Like, where all have you traveled, and some of the stuff that you've done while you were in other areas, like not just in the United States but abroad. I mean, we are talking about the entire. Earth. We're not just talking about Missouri. We're not just talking about the U.S. We're talking about everywhere. Well, I've been fortunate enough to be able to travel a lot of places. Um, all the places I went out of the country pretty much were through the military. Some of the places uh, uh, that we went while I was in the military um, was the Caribbean, of course. Uh, there was uh, this is back in the '90s, and um, we did uh, we visited all pretty much all the islands down there: Saint Croix, Saint Kitt, um, Aruba. Barbados, Puerto Rico, and several others. Uh, we, we went to Cuba on the military base there in Cuba. Now, we didn't get to go off base, but uh, that was some of the most beautiful water there was in Cuba, believe it or not. When we'd go to these places, we would port usually for a day or two sometimes, and sometimes we would just get gas and leave or whatever, but uh, we were able to leave. We would uh, go uh, out and about with the, in, the, in the towns, and we did a lot of fishing. Uh, one of my f- favorite experiences down there was went scuba diving, and it was the only time I've been scuba diving, but I really enjoyed it. I highly recommend it to anybody that can tolerate it. It's, uh, once you get down there, you can see so clearly, but you can see the shelf, you know, the earth going down, and you can see just for, it's, it's humbling is what it is. At least it did that to me, as I kind of realized how small you really are out there, and you see the fish swimming around, and we saw some sharks, and uh, all kinds of uh, uh, wildlife out there, and um, it was really an amazing experience. And I, you know, I want to do that again. Um, now that I'm older, I think I would even appreciate it even more. But it was a good experience down there. All some of the other places in the island, there was just a good time. There were good people down there, and uh, we had a good time. Um, some other places I've been that would probably be kind of unique. And um, was when we went through the Panama Canal. Um, that was kind of neat. It wasn't kind of neat. It was really neat, actually, watching the the, the, the things go up, elevate the water, and then the ship would just go up, and then it would go back down. And the, when you're going down, it's very narrow, actually, and it's nothing but jungle through a lot of it on both sides. Thick, thick jungle. And um, I will never forget that experience as well. That was, that was fun. We went to, uh, once we got on the other side, we went to Columbia, and uh, that was a that was a nice city um, or country, and I just I mean the culture down there was amazing, and uh, it was a number of years ago, but I do remember I had a great time down there. Uh, another place worth mentioning was uh, uh, that we went to was Israel. We went to Israel once, and the you know uh, when we were on that side of the world, um, went to Jerusalem, got to tour that, which was was fascinating. Um, we've been to Cyprus and the Mediterranean and Trieste and Italy. 
and a number of other places. Um, <clears throat> some of the stuff over there was the food was amazing. Uh, we would we were eating good when we reported. We would we'd run somebody would run off the boat and go get some food for everybody. And I just oh my goodness, I remember eating so well. Um, some really good food. Um, a bit Palma, Spain. And some other places like that. When when we would port, we'd do fishing and things of that nature, and it was it was always a good time getting out in the sun and stuff like that. Um, I've been to Mexico many many times. Uh, went to Santa Rosalia for fishing and all that stuff. Mexico City, Guanajuato, Cancun. Uh, we went to Chichen Itza. Uh, if I'm saying that right, the pyramids down there. I got lots of pictures of that. That. That culture was big into astronomy, and it was amazing that back then they had the, able to track the stars like they did, and uh, so accurately. And just to be in, in the presence of these massive structures was amazing, and uh, I'll never forget it. And uh, I'd like to go back. Actually, I want to go check out, uh, go to Peru and see Machu Picchu. I would love to go travel there. That would be amazing, but I... Um, you know, I don't know if that's going to happen this year or not, but I would really like to go there and check it out. Can you tell me a little bit about that area? Well, Machu Picchu? Yep. Well, only from what I've seen in, in different uh, documentaries about it, uh, the the structures are much older than those. They say much older than the pyramids. And if I remember correctly, they have these structures that have holes drilled in them that are perfectly drilled through, like granite and stuff. So in, according to the, the experts of the show I was watching, they're saying they, they would have a hard time doing that today. Find it, getting that exact drill out with no flaws or anything like that. And they were doing this way back when. So it really makes me wonder, you know, what was going on there. And it just to, again, to be in the presence of something like that and just kind of experiencing it as a, in person would be uh, getting there, you know, being an adventure. And I would love to do that because you got to hike up there. There's no, there's no planes that are dropping you off up there, I don't think. And uh, I'd imagine it'd be a challenge, but I think it would uh, be worth it at the end of the day. But before I get all the way down to Peru, I do want to go to the Grand Canyon and check out and, and go to Yellowstone, spend a week over there. That would be really neat. And as many places as I've been in the country traveling, there are two places that a lot of people go that I haven't made it to yet. So that is on my list. That's awesome. I mean, and I can say Yellowstone is absolutely gorgeous. There's a lot to see down there. Um, there's, it's just, it's a beautiful area. Um, so, um, but there's, I've been, I don't know, pretty much to almost not every state in the United States. I, it'd be quicker for me to state, state the states that I have not been in, which would be California. I've never been in, uh, New York. I've never been, uh, let's see. Um, well, Maine, which is at the end of the Appalachian Trail, which that was one of the trails that I was going to do, um, back in 2000. Um, I've done sections of the Appalachian Trail. Um, being here in Missouri, we have the Ozark Trail, um, on the previous podcast, I also asked on the Have You Ever Wondered podcast, um, like about long-distance trails. And 
Let me ask you, Tony, do you know what the longest trail is in the United States? No, not off the top of my head. Uh, I I don't recall. Uh, I, I know I would have a hard time traveling it myself uh, as much as I would like to try it. Uh, I don't know if I'd make it that far. The uh, There's people that do that, though. I mean, they just they say, I'm done, and they just cruise around there and, and live off of... Uh, off the deal there, and uh, I've always had respect for that. I just, I don't know if I could do it, but what, what is the The American Discovery Trail. It's actually 6,800 miles long. Now, is that when Lewis and Clark was on and all that, or is that? No. No. <laughs> no, that's a totally different trail. Um, don't know if they would have discovered the entire United States. <laughs> <laughs> so that one goes from California all the way across the St. Louis, Missouri area actually goes all the way across Missouri, and then it goes to the eastern border. I will be able to give you more details about that in the future because that's some of the stuff that we talked about in the previous podcast that we will be talking about is some of the longest trails and stuff like that. So but what's one of the like longest hikes or trails that you've ever been on yourself? When I was younger, of course, and... Uh in the scouting and all that, we would take, we would go on trails and, I mean, we would walk all day long. And then they had these obstacle courses along the way where you'd climb up a tree and do the lines across and, you know, rappel down and all that. And uh, they, I don't recall the names of them. Uh, that's, uh, I just don't remember that stuff. But I do remember being out there. And uh, I remember it was a beautiful day. And uh, it's probably one of the longest I've ever walked out there. And then all of a storm came in. I don't know, you know how, how it is out here. And it, it was almost a tornado is what it felt like. Now, I was a kid, so everything felt, but it was very intense. And uh, we got through it, of course, but we were all drenched at the end of the day. And uh, that was the longest hike I've ever been on. And it was, that was all day. I mean, we probably went eight, nine hours of nonstop walking. Wow. And that had a rope course in it as well, you said? Yep, I do. Um, I do remember that. It had the ladder, and you go up there and then go across a bunch of different obstacles and then go back down to the other end of it, and that was part of the deal. And uh, that's when I realized that uh, I experienced something during that trip that turkeys can fly, not for long distances, but this turkey came flying out of nowhere, scared the bejesus out of everybody. Because all you hear just... And here comes this big old bird or whatever. You know, we were young, so we're freaking out. And it, and it came from above the tree line. And so that's why we didn't think it was a turkey, but the, the, the people there were like, yeah, that was a turkey. And so turkeys can fly. Yes, they can. And, and but they can. I agree with you 100% there, too, because I've actually been out in some pretty dense forest and basically was coming to a prairie area, tall grass, all that, and... It must have been a whole group of turkeys, but they all, I think I spooked them just as much as they spooked me. And uh, when they took off, <laughs> I have to say it was uh, very it was loud, very, very scary. I mean, it made me jump because um, they weren't very far. Their distance was not far at all from wherever I was at. So, but yeah, it was loud. They are not a quiet flyer. Um so, yeah, it's it's cool how, you know, turkeys can fly and stuff like that. Well, most of my life, I didn't think they could. I mean, you just, I, mean I know they got wings and all that stuff, but I, you know, I, nobody's ever showed me a turkey fly. 
Yeah. Yeah, they just, I thought they lost the ability. They were just kind of like a Lambert, like you know. But uh, yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, I mean that's again that's kind of like uh, you know herrings and egrets stuff like that. Most people that see those, they see them on the banks of lakes or on like rivers and stuff like that. And a lot of people don't realize. I mean, people know that they can fly because they see them flying across lakes. Most people don't realize that, like, egrets or herrings, and I think it's the herrings. Um, we have a place that's not too far from us that actually, um, where they all roost in the top of trees at a certain um, time of the year. And that was really cool to see because it was just a whole bunch of these birds that were all. Talking about up the little ones that, like, all fly together? No, okay. these are the ones that have the really long legs. They're great, oh, okay. great blue herons and yep, yep, yep. Um, the egrets. This was on the Merrimack River that we actually got to see that. Um, yep. Have you done float trips on there? Oh, yeah. We have float trips, a number of those. We did a lot of those uh, here and in Florida. Uh, so I uh, uh, lived in Jackson for about 13 years, and they have, uh, I mean, they, they, I mean, it's the whole state's dang, uh, dang near underwater below sea level, but they have a lot of rivers, and we did a lot of floating. Uh, there was, uh, the only concern we had down there was alligators, and, uh, snakes and stuff like that, but uh, we really have that too much. They have a lot of springs down there, a lot of springs in Florida. Well, with the springs and stuff down there, that's, and I keep jumping back to this other podcast that we did with Have You Ever Wondered, but we talk about Have You Ever Wondered Why Springs Are the Same Temperature All Year Long No Matter What what the ambient temperature is, springs are always the same temperature. Is that across the country, though? Like, or, or world, even? Is it like they're all kind of between that, that range? Or the I imagine some would be hotter and some would be cooler, wouldn't they? Well, I mean, I think the average is between uh, 55 to 58 degrees. That's at least, I think, in the United States. I cannot tell you in other portions of the world what the temperatures are, but I could research it and find out. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, in Florida, is the uh, springs down there, are they just as cold as they are here in Missouri? Oh, it was uh, it was about, uh, let's see, outside, it was hot. We were ready to go. We, we had to walk to this place, and it opened up to this big hole, and it was about a five to... you know, five-foot drop into the water, and it, the, the water was like ice cold. We were sweating and all that, and then we jumped in. And I, I think since then, and this was years ago as well, but uh, since then they stopped allowing people to do that. Uh, but it was it was like very, very cold. And uh, I would believe it would be 50-something degrees is what I would guess it was at if I had to had to guess. Yep. And um, yeah, we, we got out. We were sh- shivering. It was so cold. And then, of course, the sun warmed us right back up. But Yeah. yeah it was very, very neat. And it's kind of cool because you you think about it. I mean, when you think about 55, you know, even 58, 59 degrees, somewhere in that ballpark, air temperature, it's really not that bad when you're outside. But when you go from 90 degrees yeah, to 55 degrees. Your body is sweating <laughs> and you jump into that. It was, uh, I can only imagine it was a fraction of what I, those guys that, that are up in the Arctic, they jump in the ice. You know, they'll make a pool and then jump. I don't know what they're thinking, but uh, I guess there's something to it. But, yeah, that was a shocker. Um, 
but it was a, uh, it was fascinating. Yeah, it's that's pretty cool. So, do you go to Florida very often? Not so much anymore, but I was going on a regular basis. Speaking of Florida, I uh, got to experience a, uh, a float trip or a fishing expedition with with a gentleman um, in Central Florida, and I had to meet this guy at like four in the morning, pitch black out. We get on his little boat. And uh, we're going bass fishing. This is what he was trying to get us to find the bass, right? And we floated for about 30 minutes or so, just in and out of these little canals and waterways. And so then he puts us in the spot. And let me tell you, I have never caught that many bass at one time. And they were all huge. They were all, you know, over six, seven pounds each. You know, they were just monsters. And I have a picture of it somewhere, but I had a great time. I, I need to find that guy's number. <laughs> See if I can make my way back down there, because it was a great time, and it, it was affordable. And they have a lot of guys that do that down there. I mean, they, you, all you have to do is uh, you know, look on the Internet nowadays, and somebody will take you to these spots. And uh, But, the uh, yeah, it was a great time. Uh, I really enjoy that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, that's that's pretty cool. And any other topics or areas that you can think of that you really enjoyed? Well, um uh, like I said, the fishing, saltwater fishing is always a good time. Uh, have, you read, yeah, have you ever been saltwater fishing? I have not. I've never been saltwater fishing. So we need to uh, try to get you good with saltwater fishing. Yep. Um, I've always had a good experience with that. Now we've been in big groups and small groups. And uh, my buddy caught a, what a, oh God, I want to say it was like a 30-pound tuna. Um, and it put up a fight like you have never seen. And... Um, you know, we don't waste any of that stuff if we catch it. You know, we just don't catch it and kill it, throw it back in or anything like that. It, uh, we do the right thing and uh, make sure it's consumed properly and all that. Um, one of the experiences I have down there not just a year or so ago was uh, I was in Florida. went on for a personal reason. We were out there, and after that, the guy said, hey, you got about another hour or so to fish. And I said, well, sure, let's do that. We caught some redfish and some grouper, and we got back to shore. He took care of it. He cleaned it, and then told me to go hit this uh, spot where they'd cook it up for me and everything. It was probably one of the best meals I've ever had. And there's just nothing like, you know, catching the fish and then and having it that day. It's not like you get a red lobster or no, you know, or anything like that. I mean, that's just not the same. It, it will never compare to it. And that's one thing I do miss about Florida is the ocean and being able. Uh, just, you can sit on the shoreline and just do it. Well, I mean, there's places down there we would just grab a chair, throw our lines out, and um, I've caught all kinds of stuff out. There's a lot of uh, in Jacksonville. There's a lot of uh, black tip sharks and stuff like that, but they, they kind of stay away from people over that way. Um, but yeah, I've caught just so many different kinds of fish, and uh, I always have fun out there. Well, I've I've actually been to Florida, and I've never fished in the ocean. Um, I played in the ocean. It was fun to play in the ocean. I actually done some snorkeling and stuff like that, and being able to see sharks up up close, um, horseshoe crabs, mm -hmm. um, starfish. I mean, it was beautiful. Um, some of the stuff that I seen was outstanding. I mean, one of the sharks that we seen when we were coming back, the tide was going out, but there was a pool that was still up on the the sandy area. Um, and in that pool, which was a pretty small pool, we seen a fish that was probably about 
10 to 12 inches long. And I walked over to it, and I'm like, oh, wow, that kind of looks like a shark. And a baby shark. I talked to another person down there, and they're like, yeah, that is a shark. And I'm like, well, it's not going to survive here. This is pretty far from the water. So I reached down and grabbed it by the tail and picked it up and actually took it back out into the ocean and just set it back into the ocean and it just swam away. I don't know if snapping turtles are down in the salt water or not, but I've been around plenty of snapping turtles in many areas I've been. The common snappers, which look a lot like alligator snappers, alligator snappers are endangered. Common snapping turtles, those things, I don't know if you know this or not, but they can actually, with their neck, they can extend their neck. If you grab those things by the tail and take them to a different water area, not around public, so that way you can release them back into their own habitat without having somebody go up and get hurt by, because they will come into public areas, as we were talking about earlier, where all these areas are being built and these animals don't have any place to go. Now you're seeing these huge common snapping turtles that basically, they're they write, all along. They ride up the sewer canals and the little canals all over the place down there. We had a we had an experience with those uh, down there and alligators in our yard uh, down in Florida, of course, not here. But uh, the, the dog was running around like crazy, and when we found him aside, and there was a um, there was a turtle out there, a snapping turtle. This thing was huge, and um, uh, well, I brought the dog inside, told that thing, you know, just get out of here, man. The, the, the alligator. Uh, we had to call it wildlife because they they get all these little canals and stuff. And when it, the water's up, these uh, alligators and turtles and everything, they they just come walking out of it and they end up in people's yards. And um, I remember down there, you, you just can't go to any body of water down there and think that you're okay, no matter big or small. And uh, we went to this one spot, and we were we weren't fishing or anything. We we're just hanging out and. The girls were like, hey, let's go swimming and all that. And I looked down on the the way the, the slide was kind of going into the water, and I'm like, I'm not getting into that water. There's no way. Of course, they didn't realize what it was. Now, bear in mind, these people lived in Florida all, their whole lives. And I'm from Missouri, so I but I realized that that is an alligator slide that you're looking at right there. The, you could see right where they go. You know, there was no footprints, but you could see that's where they go. And you can't really see the bottom. You can't see in some of these lakes and stuff. You can go from the ocean to this to a lake in a matter of minutes in a lot of places. But the uh, the t the snapping turtles and the alligators, and snakes, and all that. I mean, they're just everywhere down there. You just got to be careful. I mean, uh, you, know, you hear stories about it all the time. But it was a I do miss some of that down there for sure. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I mean, that's uh, and that's I guess where you were. When you were younger, yeah. Well, I lived uh, I lived in Florida for like thirteen years. Okay, I lived in Tampa or Jacksonville mainly, and then I lived in Tampa, and then I lived in Clearwater for a while, and back to Tampa, and I came back home. But okay, now that's where you actually started your locksmithing career, isn't it? Is in Florida? Yeah, yeah. When I was getting out of the Navy, um, for whatever reason, I started locking my keys in the car, and my buddy was a, a locksmith, and. Um, yeah, I call him. Hey, man, you know, come save me. And he did the first couple of times. He hooked me up and whatever. He came across town, and then finally, 
he said he was going to start charging me or he was going to show me how to do it because he had been trying to get me to get in that line of work. Uh, you know, in the Navy, I fixed helicopters, so I had a you know mechanic background and all that stuff, and kind of knew how to fix stuff, so uh, and tinker with things like that. So it came naturally, uh, picked it up quickly, and so that's when I started working for a company down there. And you know, we just did car door lockings and roadside, but you know, after a short time, you know, we got into actual key generations and things like that. Now, this is back before they had all these fancy chip keys and proximity remotes and all that. I mean, we can do all that now, but uh, that's where I got into it at, is down there, yeah. Okay. What was the name of that company? Uh, Popalock. Popalock. Yep. I worked for them for a number of years. Uh, uh, it's kind of where I got, you know, gave them my wings or whatever. Okay. Got earned my stripes, you know, the 24 hours, you know, <laughs> running around and, you know, that, you know, that's a young man's gig and all that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I love this line of work. Uh, and I loved it then, and I've been in it now for 23 years. That's awesome. That's really awesome. Yeah, I um, I know that you're pretty popular around this area, and you're part of some pretty big networks. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, we're part of the chambers, you know, out here, and then uh, a couple of networking groups and stuff like that. And um, really, the obviously, is to give back to the community as much as we can, really, at this time. We're planning to get more and more as we grow. I'll say it's been, you know, really good talking to you, Tony. I'm glad that you took the time um, to invite me to your shop here and actually do this podcast. Um, I do have to bring up one thing from the previous podcast when we had four questions. Basically, we gave the information that we were going to do a shout out for the first five people to get the answer correctly and also that we were going to give out a book to the third person to answer all five questions correctly in the third position. We did have several people that answered a lot of the questions, but they didn't answer all the questions correctly. We only had one person that answered all of our questions all correctly that at least contacted and let us know that person is Basically, the person that will be getting the book that I promised, Directories of Missouri Natural Areas. I want to give a shout out to that person. That will be Aaron Poe. Um, so, Aaron, if you can uh, contact me and give me your contact information to be able to ship this book out to you. And I hope you enjoy it. I appreciate you getting back to us with the extensive answers that you came back with. I think the one that got most of the people was the uh, flower that still grows along the rivulet, along Minnesota Falls, which is the trail that we were talking about. Giving the answers out to those questions now, the highest point in Missouri is 1,772 feet. That's on top of Tom Salk Mountain. That's a state park. The highest waterfall is Minnesota Falls, which is 132 feet. And the easiest name for that flower, which still grows along that area right now, is the Indian Pink. But again, I want to give that shout out to Aaron Poe for answering all the questions correctly. Um, Good job, Aaron. Yeah. I mean, 
And basically, I was pretty impressed of the details that I got back from them. Um, so he did a lot of research. Um, is Mel. Um, she was also on there as well. So she had some information. But yeah, definitely wanted to give that shout out to them and also make sure that we get this book to you. So again, please get us your uh, contact information and we will make sure we get this out and delivered to you. I appreciate it. Um, thank you for everybody that's listened. And again, I want to thank Tony for having us to his shop. Thank you, Tony. Well, thank you, sir. It was a good time to hang out with you for a while and uh, talk about some of this stuff. Yeah, welcome anytime. Well, I appreciate it. And we here at Rediscovering Earth's Lost Topography, we like to travel. Um, and if anybody is interested in meeting up with us, you know, to a certain degree, <laughs> but I would be willing to uh, meet up and do a podcast with other people, talk about their adventures or whatever they're interested in. So thank you guys. Thanks for, for listening and Y'all have a wonderful day. Y'all take care.